ladies. Thank you, Samuel. Let's take your Bibles, please, to Romans chapter 14. Romans 14. And uh, we're going to read verses 7 through 9. Romans 14, 7. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live under the Lord, and whether we die, we die under the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you this day for your word. We thank you for the book of Romans. We pray that, Lord, you'd help us to gain an understanding of these verses this morning. Lord, help me to be able to explain them clearly and simply in a way that will bring glory to your name. Lord, just uh, guide our time in your word this morning. We know your word, Father God, is uh, a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path or way. We know, Father God, that your word is precious, and we do pray that, Lord, you'd help us to glean from it today that which you would have for us. God, our time in your word this day, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, sometimes as Christians, we're quick to judge others as to their relationship with God or the way that they live their lives. But so often the basis of our judgment isn't always the best. It's very easy for us to confuse our personal preferences with what the Bible teaches regarding a certain issue. And we make it a matter of biblical conviction when really it's just a matter of personal preference. And it's best if we allow others the right to decide concerning these non-essential principles or matters of conscience. Martin Luther King Jr. once declared, cowardice asks the question, is it safe? Consensus asks the question, is it popular? Conscience asks the question, is it right? The Bible, you know, assigns to our consciences an important role in our Christian life and experience. In fact, the Word of God tells us that the Holy Spirit often works through our conscience, either to excuse us with regard to what we're doing or to convict us with regard to what we're doing. But the Spirit works with our conscience to enable us to make wise and right choices in the Christian life. However, this does not mean that our consciences are infallible. Some believers suffer from a weak conscience. They feel guilty at actions that are not inherently sinful, that the Bible doesn't condemn, the Bible doesn't say it's wrong, and in and of itself it isn't wrong, but they struggle with it because, as Paul has told us in Romans 14, they're weak believers, they have a weak conscience. And Romans chapter 14 is dealing with the subject of Christian liberty. And the conflict that we as believers have between the strong and the weak between those believers who are strong and those believers who are weak. And this conflict over Christian liberty is surfaced here in the church at Rome and it's surfaced in two primary 
contexts when it comes to this church. In the decision of whether to eat or not to eat certain foods and how to observe special days. The danger was that this divisive argument as to, you know, people criticizing each other for eating or not eating or observing or not observing certain days, this argument, this discussion, the danger was that this divisive argument that was erupting in the church over non-essentials was going to divide the church. And so here are words of warning and words of encouragement for the weak group of believers and for the strong group of believers. Because Paul's main concern was the unity of the church. If you just skip over to chapter 15 and verse 5, we notice what Paul's desire is. He says, Now the God of patience and consolation grants you to be like-minded one toward another according to Jesus Christ, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then he says in verse 7, Wherefore receive you one another, as Christ also has received us to the glory of God. Paul's concern for this church at Rome, and Paul's concern for the believers at Rome, and indeed God's concern for you and I as believers, is that there would be unity in the church for the glory of God. And so when it comes to areas that are not clearly defined in Scripture, we find ourselves needing some kind of guidance. And Paul gives that guidance to us here in Romans chapter 14. He explains how believers can disagree over these non-essentials and still maintain unity within the church. Now we said he gives four reasons why we should receive one another. Now remember, this is about the non-essential things, not tolerance of sin. But four reasons why we ought to receive one another in these non-essential areas We've seen that we should receive one another because firstly, God has received us. Secondly, because God sustains his own. And last week we started to consider the third reason why we should receive one another. And we said it's because Jesus Christ is Lord. And that's the context or the point of verses 5 through 9 and today verses 7 through 9. The Apostle Paul tells us what the Word of God tells us when it comes to these non-essentials is that let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind and be sure to do it as to the Lord. That's what we saw last week. Let's go back to verse 5. It says, One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day, regardeth unto the Lord. And he that regardeth not the day to the Lord, he doth regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord. And he that, eateth, uh, he that giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not to the Lord, he eateth not and giveth God thanks. And so there's, there's these two things that we are make sure that we're fully persuaded in our own mind that what we're doing is right. And secondly, we need to be sure that we do it to the Lord. And once again, let me remind us that this is not about keeping the moral law of God. This has got nothing to do with God's divine orders. This has got nothing to do with the commandments of God. This has got nothing to do with the moral law of God. For God's moral law must be kept. God's moral law must be obeyed. God's moral law is to be observed. When God says, thou shalt not kill, God meant that. There is no area, gray area in that. That's an absolute law. 
And the Ten Commandments are absolute and God's commands are absolute. We're not talking about the moral law. We're talking about those things, the gray areas, the non-essentials, those things in life that certain believers can't do because of conscience sake. And yet another believer can do because it doesn't have an impact upon his conscience. He can do it under the Lord. I mean, we've said that some people, you know, can play a sport and happily do it and do it for the glory of God. And other people can't even go near a sports field because they struggle spiritually with that. That's a non-essential area. That's an area whereby our conscience and our conviction before Almighty God must determine what we do. Neither's right, neither's wrong. So this is about those non-essential things, those things that don't matter. Now that's the argument that Paul has been making right through verse 1 through verse 6 in this chapter. But then the Apostle Paul has something else that he wants to say, something else that he feels important before he moves on to the next reason why we ought to receive one another, something else that he feels important that must be said, that it must be emphasized before he moves on. And he does that because Romans chapter 14 verses 1 through 6 are part of a much larger principle. And Romans chapter 14 verses 7 through 9 give us that larger principle. In other words, he's been talking about meat and he's been talking about vegetables. He's been talking about certain days. But now he wants to put over that an overarching banner. Because they're the specifics that we're dealing with in the church at Rome that we don't have so much struggle with. We don't struggle over what people can eat and what they can't eat. We don't struggle over, uh, you know, the Sabbath days and new moons, etc. But there is an overarching principle that governs everything that we do as believers. And that larger principle is here in verses 7 through 9. And that principle is this, that you and I as believers must do everything that we do unto the Lord. Whatever we do, we must do it unto the Lord. Whether therefore ye eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. We must do it unto the Lord. And we know that the verses 1 through 6 are connected to verses 7 through 9 because we start out in verse 7 with the word for. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. And so we have this word for here in verse 17 that reminds us that the words in verses 7 through 9 follow on from what he's just been saying in verses 1 through 6. The point he's been making in Romans 14, 1 through 6 is that those who eat vegetables or do not eat vegetables and they eat meat, they do it unto the Lord. They, they genuinely are serving God in what they do. They genuinely believe this is God's will. And this is okay for them to do it or not do it. And now in Romans 14, 7 through 9, he makes it clear that the, that principle is also true about the whole of our lives. One commentator put it this way, Romans 14 started with principles, uh, with particulars, but now it raises, rises from that level and is going to show that this is true in the general realm as well. And so Romans 14, 7 through 9, Paul is underlining for you and I the truth that he's reported for us in verses 1 through 6. He wants now you and I to, to solidify this truth. These verses show us why the principle that's been taught in verses 1 through 6 
which is that you're not to judge each other, but you are to receive one another. Verse 1 says, Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. For when for one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. Let him that eateth despise him, uh, sorry, let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not, and let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. So this truth, this principle that's been taught in verses 1 through 6, must be true because of what's said next in verses 7 through 9. Now we here we have introduced to us one of the most things, important things that you and I can ever learn as believers. And that's this truth, that we are the Lord's. That we belong to him. We're bought with a price. We belong to him. He is our Lord. He is our master. We are his subjects. He is Lord. And in Romans 14, 7 through 8, we see this principle stated negatively and then positively. So first, consider with me this morning the principle stated negatively in verse 7. He says this, For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. We might well translate this, Not one of us lives to himself, and not one of us, when he dies, dies to himself. He is our Lord, whether we're, whether we're alive or whether we're dead, He is Lord. From the moment you and I got saved, throughout all of eternity, He is our Lord. Death doesn't stop Him being our Lord. So no apostle now rises above the opinions, above the controversies of diets and days to proclaim the Lordship of Christ. You see, a key component in this matter of Christian liberty is our responsibility to Christ. You see, we're not responsible to each other when it comes to these matter of diets and days. But we are accountable to the Lord for diets and days. That's our, we've got to give account to Him. We've got to look to Him. He is Lord. So whatever we do, we must do it all to Him as our Lord. One commentator said, a Christian is living out his or her life as Christ's servant before God. We are individually accountable to the Lord in every area and every experience of life. Each Christian in both life and death is seen by the Lord and is accountable to him, not to other Christians. So whether we live or whether we die, we're not accountable to anybody else. We're just accountable to the Lord. And the reason the Christian does not or should not live to himself is because he's Lord. The reason why we're not to judge one another, not to criticize one another, is because he is their Lord too. So if somebody is deciding that they need to do this diet, you know, these diet things, they're not allowed to eat meat that's offered unto idols, or they're observing certain days, they're answerable to the Lord, not to me. They're answerable to their Lord. And if the other believer over here, the strong believer, can quite happily eat meat offered to idols and quite happily not observe certain days and Sabbaths and holy days and new moons, and he's doing that to the Lord, remember, he's answerable to the Lord. 
They're not answerable to each other. He is Lord. And this purpose or this principle is our obligation as believers. And it does not cease when we die. But it carries forward. That's what he's saying here. Through all of eternity, he is our Lord. Go with me to Philippians chapter 1. Paul kind of explains this a, a little better, for want of a word, in Philippians chapter 1. <coughs> Philippians chapter 1 and verse 20. He says this, According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life, or by death. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. The Apostle Paul here makes it clear that Paul says whether he lives or whether he dies, he wants to do it to the Lord. Paul lived his life not to preserve or to promote himself, but to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything Paul did was governed by the Lordship of Christ. So much so that if the Lord Jesus Christ should one day decide that Paul could best glorify him through his death, through laying down his life for the Lord, then Paul said he'd be pleased to do that. That's what he says in verses 20 and 21. Verse 21, he says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I'm happy to do whatever the Lord wants. If he wants me to live, it's Christ. I will do it for the glory of the Lord. If he wants me to die, that's fine, that's gain. But either way, I'm just going to serve the Lord. Somebody said our death is not merely a transfer from the arena of struggle to the realm of rest. Our death is an enlarged opportunity to show forth the praises of the Lord. Relation to him is the key to life on either side of the veil. He is Lord, either in life or death. You see, you and I as believers are always governed by our relationship to the Lord. That's what that's paramount in our lives. The thing that ought to govern everything we do and everything we say, everywhere we go, ought to be the fact that He is our Lord. What would the We should live for him, therefore we should receive one another because they also are the Lord's. They're his children and they're answerable to him as their Lord, not to us. Martin Lord Jones said, Christians are entirely in the hands of the Lord in every respect. Not only about eating meat and, or vegetables, not only about observing or not observing days, but in everything. This is the principle that governs the whole of their lives. That's why we shouldn't judge one another. That's why we shouldn't criticize one another. That's why we should not to bring judgment upon one another because, and why we should receive one another 
because he is the Lord and the Lord's commanded it. Now in Romans chapter 14 verse 7, Paul condenses all of his, this in a negative way. Then the 8th verse, he makes the same thought in a slightly more positive way. It's like the apostle wants to make sure we get this point. He tells, the Lord tells it to us once and now he tells it to us again. In verse 8, he says, For whether we live, we live under the Lord. Or whether we die, we die under the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. Do you get the point? <laughs> we are the Lord's. Whatever we do. And this is the principle stated positively from the beginning to end. For whether we live or whether we die, our lives are to be dedicated to the Lord. Therefore, whatever we do, we ought to do it to the Lord because he is Lord. Now, Romans chapter 14, verse 8, emphasizes the believer's union between themselves and the Lord. It makes it abundantly clear. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. Whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. You see, we have a Lord who is all-sufficient. He's the all-sufficient one. And you and I understand that Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ, is all-sufficiency. Everything you and I need is found in our relationship to the Lord. And when you and I know him as our Savior and we respect him as our Lord in both life and in death, whatever befalls us, God will bless and none of us lives to ourselves alone and none of us dies to ourselves alone whatever we do we do for the glory of the Lord our culture may teach that individualism and self-fulfillment are the sole generators of happiness but you know Paul tells us that's not true because, you see, you and I don't find happiness in who we are. We don't find self-fulfillment in what we do. But we find our happiness in whose we belong to, who we belong to, whose we are. Because we belong to the Lord. That's where our happiness is found. That's where our joy is found. That's where our contentment is found that's where our fulfillment of life is found it's found in him and obeying him first corinthians chapter 6 and verses 19 expresses the same truth it says you're not your own for you're bought with a price therefore glorify god in your body and in your spirit which are god's we're not our own we're bought with a price. We belong to the Lord. Therefore, you and I are to glorify the Lord in our spirit and our bodies. We're to glorify him in our lives day by day. For whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. And since our lives belong to him, we shouldn't live unto ourselves, but unto the Lord. We're to live for the one to whom we belong. Somebody said the simple truth, this simple truth forms the bedrock of all Christianity. 
You know, this is the visible side of our relationship with Christ. This is where you and I demonstrate that he is our Lord. This is where we demonstrate the Lordship of Christ day by day. As you and I seek the Lord and we seek to obey him, we seek to bring glory to him, this is how you and I demonstrate that relationship that we have with the Lord. So we demonstrate our love for the Lord, the one who gave his life without reserve for us is worthy of our lives without reserve for him. In life and death, we're his. We need for the Lord to guide us, to work in us, and to give us direction, for we are the Lord's. And that brings us to verse 9 where he says this, For to this end Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. Here the word of God proclaims that when, Christ, that when Christ is our Lord, he is Lord no matter where we are or what happens to us. And he's Lord because, first of all, by virtue of his death. For to this end, Christ both died. He is the Lord of the dead. He died. And by virtue of his resurrection, he's the Lord of the living. He says there, for, for, for to this end Christ both died and rose and revived that he might be both Lord of the dead and the living. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, gave his life for us, laying it down in obedience to the will of his Father and thereby purchased us by his blood. First Peter chapter 1, please. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 18. For as much as you know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. You and I are bought with a price. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ established Jesus' claim to deity, but it also established his claim to lordship. That's the point of verse 9. For to this end Christ both died and rose and revived. Why? That he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. His resurrection is positive proof that he is Lord. Somebody said his, his triumph included victory over death so that even though his people may be given over to death's power temporarily, they have not ceased to be his, as the future bodily resurrection of Christians will demonstrate. The point here is this, that Jesus Christ is our Lord now. When you and I die, he will still be our Lord. And throughout eternity, he'll continue to that, in that relationship. This is a 
testimony, a proof positive that you and I are not annihilated the moment we die, but there is such a thing as life after death. And for believers, that life is in relationship to our Lord. Because he's Lord now, he will continue to be Lord after our death because when he died on the cross and was buried and rose again the third day, he did that so that he may indeed be the Lord of the living and the dead. Not even death breaks the Lordship of Christ. It says in verse 9, it says, For to this end, that is for this purpose, for this design. Now it does not say that this was the only design of his death, because we know that's not true. We know that he died that we might have salvation. But one of the main reasons why he died, one of the main objectives in his death, burial and resurrection, was that he might indeed be Lord. This declaration was introduced to confirm what he had said in the previous verse, that in all circumstances we are the Lord's. Jesus died and rose again that he, or in order that he might be Lord, or in order that he might be, uh, that we might be his as our Lord. The word revived here is an interesting word. It says in verse 9, it says, For to this end both uh, Christ both died and rose and revived. Which is an interesting phraseology because rose means he rose from the dead. I mean, that's obvious, isn't it? That's the resurrection. Death, burial, resurrection. Revived. It's an interesting word. This also refers to the resurrection. So Paul actually says in this verse, he says, For Christ both died and rose and rose. And the word revived actually means restored to life. So if there's any doubt that Jesus Christ is still living, okay, he died, he rose, and he is still living, that's what this word revived implies. You see, if he's going to be Lord of both the living and the dead, then the Christ who died must still be living. And that's what he says here. He revived, he was restored to life. He's alive. We serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living. Whatever men may say, he lives. He's alive. And Christ was restored to life in order that he might exercise dominion over the dead and the living. Aren't you thankful for that? He's not only Lord now, but when you and I die, he is Lord. Nothing can stop our resurrection. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? He's Lord. He's overseeing it. And when we die, when we pass from this life, it's guaranteed we'll go to the next. Because he's Lord of the living and the dead. Sometimes, you know, the Apostle Paul, when you read these verses, you wonder, what's Paul talking about? Well, at least I do. But then when you actually understand what he's saying, you think, wow, these are wonderful truths. Christ rose and he's restored to life that he might rule over. That's what he says here. He says that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. And that might be Lord has the idea of ruling over. The Greek word here emphasized that he might exercise entire dominion over all. 
as the sovereign lawgiver and Lord. Commentator Martin Lloyd-Jones said this. He said, This passage proves that those who die are not annihilated, that they do not cease to be conscious, that they are still under the dominion of the mediator. Though their bodies molder in the grave, yet the spirit lives and is under his control. And though the body dies and returns to its native dust, yet the Lord Jesus is still its sovereign and shall raise, rise it up again. He died to purchase our redemption. He died that he might be our Lord. He died that he might be Lord of both the living and the dead. And because of that, you and I need to be obedient to him as our Lord in this area of believers in the non-essentials. When you consider the grand picture, he is Lord. Why are you squabbling over diets and days? In the grand scheme of things, he's Lord. So the weaker believer who struggles with meat offered to idols and only can eat vegetables, let them do it as unto the Lord because he is their Lord. And the strong believer who can eat meat offered unto idols, let him eat his meat as unto the Lord because he is his Lord. And those who see every day as being special and therefore don't have any particular days they keep, but they're doing it to the glory of God, they're living every day for his glory, let them do it because he's Lord. And those who have to have special days, particularly those Jewish believers Paul's talking about, who need to celebrate Sabbaths and holy days and new moons because that's the way they were raised, let them do it under the Lord for he is their Lord. Because the overarching theme of all of this is the Lordship of Christ. Remember, we are bought with a price. Therefore, we're to glorify God in our body and our spirit, which are God's. To sum up then, instead of us judging each other over the non-essentials, we need to remember we have the Lord's. And that we're to live for the Lord. We should not be seen as someone who contends for things that don't matter in such a way that it can only be described as being contentious. As believers, we are to receive one another. Even when we disagree with someone's opinions or preferences, because he is Lord. Somebody said, if Christians would go to the Lord in prayer instead of going to their brother with criticism, there would be stronger fellowship in our churches. Let's never forget we are the Lord's and let's live for him. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We do thank you for uh, this wonderful uh, truth, Father God, that Jesus Christ is Lord. And help us, Father, to live with that truth in view in our lives day by day. That, Lord, we might indeed bring glory to you because you are Lord whether we live or whether we die. Bless us as we close the hymn we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.